Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online and Play Action Pools. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron and start of the new football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest, the world's largest 200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at BetOnline. And make sure you head over to the website or use the mobile device and sign up today for 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager is refunded up to $25, 100%. For new customers only, by signing up using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And exciting news our podcast is partnering with playactionpools.com this season to bring some interactive fun to the sports we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our playactionpools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up on our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, at playactionpools.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going to select 10 highest-profile games of the week between NFL and college football, and whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Believe Football Pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got Survivor, Pick'em, as well as cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. What up, PCK Potters and fantasy-focused team? Sky and Bobby back with you for another episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Today is episode 442, and it is us versus ECR expert consensus ranking. We're going to do some buy-sell on the top 12 positions, players we think may finish outside of the top 12 at their position for quarterback and tight end, and for running backs, we'll do the top 24 and vice versa players outside of those positions we think could land inside so we'll see where we differ on the ecr bob it's good to be back man how are we feeling about the ecr so far uh pretty good you know i you know taking a look at the expert consensus rankings and kind of getting a viewpoint i gotta throw a little bit of an applause i mean they do a pretty good job i mean for the most part they get the guys that should be in there but we're here today to identify a few that they might have missed on for our podcast Right, and thankfully, we just had some inside scoop with our man Jared Smola. So once again, hit up a boy Smola at uh, on Twitter, and he has been in the top 10 for the last couple of seasons and gave us some behind-the-scenes sneak peeks. So hopefully that'll help us out with our rankings that we can help you out with. We've had a lot of people starting to DM us. It was getting into crunch time. Two weeks left to get your drafts in. Bobby and I have a couple between the two of us tonight, and we got a few for the rest of the week with the TCK Listener Leagues as well as some individual home leagues. So if you have any questions on who to draft, how to help out, grading your drafts, whatever it is, make sure you – DM Bobby or I on Twitter at our names, Sky Guasco and Bobby Lamarco, or on Instagram at fantasy football underscore TCK pod for myself, or you can find Bobby 
at FF Fantasy Football X Factor on Instagram as well. Okay, for those of you in the Fantasy Focus team, you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. Feel free to jump in the comment section here, and we'll get to as many of the questions as we can pertaining to the ECR. A quick note about the TCK Listener Leagues. We have the drafts tonight, so make sure that you come in hot. For those of you participating in the TCK Listener Leagues, Bobby and I are going to be gunning for you, so hopefully you're bringing your A game. We know that you will. And for those of you that missed out this year, make sure you reach out to us anyway, and I'll write down a little kind of a guest list for next year, see if we can get you in for 2022. But tonight is going to be the TCK Listener League for both the rookie and the vet divisions. We're very excited about that. All right, Bob, let's get into this here, man. Before we do, I think you have a you got a spicy topic for me, don't you? Yeah, of course. The hot topic of the day brought to you by Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Go to seekthespice.com, give them a try, and use that promo code TCK to get 10% off your order. Now, Sky, we like to always throw out an honorable mention when we do these kind of shows because we have to lock into one guy. But between the quarterbacks, the running backs, the tight ends, receivers, a guy you're not going to mention today, give us an honorable mention for a player that you're higher on than the experts. I'm going to stick with a homer pick here, and I'm going to go with my man Raheem Mostert, running back for the San Francisco 49ers. ECR has him at running back 29 in PPR. I've got him up at 21. I want to bring him higher, but I want to also stay <laughs> relatively uh, you know, reasonable. The biggest reason here is Trey Sermon, who I think is going to be phenomenal for a long time for the 49ers, and probably this year at some point. He has now jumped. Raheem Mostert in ADP. Trey Sermon now is going in the middle of the sixth round. Raheem Mostert's going in basically the seventh. Now in redraft leagues, I think it's silly to draft Trey Sermon over Raheem Mostert in redraft leagues. Dynasty, obviously. Raheem Mostert, although he's older for a running back, and yes, he's been a journeyman running back, he does not have the wear and tear that most running backs do at his age or with his career uh, behind him. So he has the game-breaking ability, literally the fastest uh, running back last year in the NFL. The The scheme for the 49ers is just pretty much unstoppable. If they go with this double quarterback thing that we're talking about, and we saw last preseason game against the Raiders where they absolutely demolished him on the ground, you're going to see Raheem Mostert dominating as long as he is healthy. Yes, injury is a concern. Durability is a concern. But while he's healthy, Raheem Mostert is going to give you tremendous value, and he's falling and falling and falling. I keep going into drafts where he's in the 7th, 8th, ninth round in redraft leagues because people are worried about it, and they're excited about Trey Sermon. I'm excited about Trey Sermon as well. What I try to do is if I'm on a turn is I go with Raheem Mostert and then I go with Trey Sermon or I'll go with Trey Sermon knowing nobody's going to draft Raheem Mostert and I get both of them so I can lock up the 49er backfield. But for me, man, he's somebody getting drafted basically outside of that top 24. Definitely has RB1 upside weekly. And if he finishes a full season somehow, I definitely think he will be in the top 15 to even 12, potentially with that dominant running back um, onslaught there in San Francisco. And Trey Sermon will also get his. You know what, Sky? Listen, because we love the fantasy-focused community, appreciate all their love, you know what? I'm going to let them jump the line here. We have a question coming in from one of our frequent flyers, and we appreciate all the feedback we get from you guys. Now that Sam uh, Mac Jones is the starter, he got a great question here. Sam Darnold or Mac Jones as a backup or QB2? Which one would you prefer? That's a great question. I'm going to go with Sam Darnold, and it, this is really just kind of um, – first of all, I've been high on Sam Darnold since he moved over to Carolina, so I'm, I'm feeling biased that way. I also was feeling high on 
Cam Newton, and I love the move actually for the Patriots. I think like getting the new Tom Brady <laughs> makes sense for them, and, and Mac Jones has definitely earned a spot. I worry about the overall weapons. Mac Jones has looked great, but he's still a rookie quarterback. He has not faced true NFL defensive starters for the most part yet. They're going to be without Stephon Gilmore for the first half of the season. That's troublesome for me, um, just meaning that they're going to be potentially behind and he's going to have to you know, run it up on the end. I think Sam Darnold on the other side now has a full offseason here. Uh, he's been the starter from day one, and he has better weapons, in my opinion, plus he just has that diamond that nobody else has, which is Christian McCaffrey, both in the run game and in the pass game. I'm going to lean Sam Darnold, but I will say I love Mac Jones here, and if you can get him as a QB3 in Superflex leagues, I like that move a lot, but I'll lean Sam Darnold. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. But, Sky, now that we got the, the SeekTheSpice.com, I want to make sure that hot topic of the day. We did a double dip today, you know, because we love our boys over at Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Remember, guys, if you use that promo code TCK, you get 10% off your order. So please make sure you're going to check out Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. for, And also, we appreciate for the hot topic of the day. Now, Sky, why don't you tell the people kind of what we're going to be doing today's podcast? All right, so today, again, it's it's TCK versus ECR. Now, you've t- heard us talk about ECR quite a bit. If you're new to the channel or you're new to fantasy football and you're just kind of in grind time right now with two weeks left, ECR is short for Expert Consensus Ranking. So experts in the industry from all different avenues, whatever it may be, come together and they take basically the cumulative average of all of those rankers, hundreds of rankers. They take the cumulative average and they place that on a particular player. So that player then gets an ECR ranking of the average of all of the people. And then Bobby and I have our own individual rankings and we compare what those rankings might be. So what we're doing today is we're doing a little bit of a a rankings comparison, but more so we're looking at for quarterbacks and tight ends. We're looking at players with an ECR ranking of top 12 at their position and a player in that top 12 that Bobby and I think may fall out or may shouldn't be ranked in that top 12 anyway. And for running backs and wide receivers, we're taking the top 24 because there's just so many more that we can look at for fantasy. And vice versa, on the back end, we're actually going to look at the other side where we're going to look at players outside of the top 12 or 24 at those positions that may fall into the top 24 or 12 for our individual rankings. So we have a rankings comparison, but it's more about kind of that that grouping and tiers uh, is, is what we're looking at here for all of the different positions today. Okay, I'm going to roll right into my guy uh, first off. And listen, I always have to – If you when you get to know me and Sky, we have some guys we're really passionate about and we love. And I try not to step on Sky's toes, ever. I always want to be supportive co-host of his. But unfortunately, this time I am not going to be because my expert consensus ranking top 12 quarterback that I'm actually fading is actually Justin Herbert. Now, hear me out on this. And the reason why I'm saying Justin Herbert is – couple things. Number one, when you dive into his 2020 season, historic for a rookie, and no one's going to throw shade on his historic rookie season. I I love him for that. But keep in mind, a couple things. Number one, he was 16th in the NFL in fantasy points per dropback. So that's outside the top 12. Now, he's also down the stretch. He actually started slipping. He did average 26.1 points per game. Over the final eight games, he dropped to 23.3. That's still really good, but 23.8. 23.3 23.3 points per game over that final stretch fell toward the bottom, that 12-13 range. So overall, we did start to see it catch up to him a little bit. And he also, over that span, was the 17th quarterback in fantasy points per dropback. So on a per-dropback basis, he's not a top 
12 quarterback. He was more volume dependent last year. Now, of course, the new coaching staff comes in. This defense has a lot of talent, a lot of guys coming back. Bosa, for example, some injuries that happened last year to that defensive line. So I think the defense is going to get better under their new head coach. Um, and plus the coordinator change. And this is really big because I talk about this all the time. System continuity. We get bored in fantasy football of the same player on the same team with the same coach. Well, I'm sorry, but to tell you the truth, that's the best situation for fantasy. You want continuity. And unfortunately, this year, he's a second-year quarterback learning a brand-new scheme. So I want to just give you some examples of top 12 quarterbacks over the last few seasons that actually had a new quarterback, a new coordinator the next season and how they fared. So first off, let's start with Matt Ryan. This happened to Matt Ryan twice over the last two seasons, um, last four seasons. He had a new coordinator come in. In those seasons, in his first year with an OC, he went from 25.8 points per game down to 21.2 in his first season. That's a differential of minus 4.6. The next time, 26.3 points per game. And then in his first season with the new coordinator, it went down to 16.8. That's a 9.5 uh, point differential. But other quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, we all MVP Aaron Rodgers last year. But in his first year with Matt LaFleur, his last season with uh, Mike McCarthy to his first season with Matt LaFleur, he dropped from 22.3 down to 20.3. So that's a minus two points per game. So even if you look at Kirk Cousins, for example, Kirk Cousins went from 21 points to 19.6 in his first year in the system with Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak. So we've seen this constantly happen. And of course, Russell Wilson, he went from the QB one in his last season with Daryl Bevel in 2017, averaging 25.7 points per game. He dropped all the way to 23.1. That's a minus 2.6. So we see this constantly, even elite quarterbacks, when there is a, a hiccup or a change in the actual offensive scheme, they do scale back their points per game. And this is some prominent guys. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, even the only quarterback over this time frame that actually had an improvement was Cam Newton. His first season with North Turner, he actually improved by two points per game. So it does happen. But for the most part, when you look at all the quarterbacks over the last few seasons who were in the top 12, then they had a QB, uh, coordinator change. They typically see a drop in points per game the next year. So that's why he's my fade for the 2021 season as at the expert consensus rate inside the top 12. Tom Brady or Justin Herbert? Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. And Russell Wilson. Ooh, that's like the same. That's just, uh, now competing arguments. Uh, I'm going to go Russ because of his rushing. And Dak coming off the injury? Dak. Okay. All right. Well, if you're watching YouTube, you know I love my boy Justin Herbert right behind me. Got the Jersey Jungle Justin Herbert, the powder blue. So swanky, dude. I absolutely love this jersey. And also, man, again, I say this a lot on the podcast, but new to the channel here at Fantasy Focused, I live in Eugene, Oregon, live down the street from Watson Stadium. I watched him at Sheldon High School, watched him every snap with the Ducks. Big fan. I'm not going to disagree with any of your points, Bobby, but I think this kid's special. And getting his weapons back, I think is going to help. And, and a full season, hopefully, of Austin Eckler. And I love Josh Palmer as well. Coming in will help tremendously. But your guy is your guy. I'm going to go with another one, maybe not particular, not particularly popular here. And my fade, unfortunately, in the top 12 is Jalen Hurts. Now, Bobby, <laughs> I'm also going to start my uh, quote-unquote argument with the same kind of I love Jalen Hurts. I, I could potentially see myself drafting him if the price is right. My issue is, unfortunately, right now, the price is not right with what's going on in Philadelphia right now. So Jalen Hurts right now is the ECR quarterback 11. He's also my quarterback 11. So I agree with ECR here, but I'm less excited maybe about him. 
going in the ninth round right now, the beginning of the ninth round in single quarterback leagues, of course, super flex. These guys are going to go a lot faster. Last year, he started four and a half games. He averaged 24 and a half fantasy points, which is top five among the quarterbacks who played four and a half games. That includes Dak Prescott. He has a 60 plus yard per game rushing floor and a full season of the starters with healthy weapons should definitely help. My issue is the tone in Philadelphia doesn't necessarily give me full confidence that they're fully invested in Jalen Hurts and maybe for this year, but will he potentially have a short leash? They just traded for Gardner Minshew. Now say what you want about Gardner Minshew, the George, the mustache, whatever. I'm a Pac-12 guy. I watched him at Wazoo up the street in Washington, and this dude's a gunslinger. He can play quarterback. Obviously, when when the Jaguars got the number one pick, it was going to be Trevor Lawrence. And that day that they got they solidified the number one pick, Garner Minshew and everybody else knew he didn't have a job anymore in Jacksonville if Trevor Lawrence came in healthy. Well, so far it's happened. They have limited weapons in Philadelphia as well. You know, I, I think I love Smith. I think he's gonna be a great wide receiver for a long time, but he's still a rookie wide receiver. Jalen Rager, he's been kind of beat up he's got a COVID situation he's been sick we'll see if he can come through Dallas Goddard a lot of high hopes but now Zach Ertz is still around but he's a shell of his former self and Miles Sanders and all these other running backs who you know I'm just not sure what they're doing in Philadelphia personally Jalen Hurts as much as he was exciting last year in those four and a half games just 52 percent completion percentage and six touchdowns and four interceptions you want to see that ratio obviously spiked tremendously in the uh, tight end or in the touchdown ratio. Now he was a rookie last year. I think all of that definitely uh, takes a step up um, and he improves on all of those statistics. But unfortunately, I'm just still not terribly convinced that Philadelphia believes in him. And I know that he has a tremendous rushing floor and upside and he had a solid ups. He had a, excuse me, he had a solid preseason. Um, Overall, but I am a little bit concerned here because of the weapons, then bringing in Garner Minshew, who could be a starter uh, for this team if anything happens. And I know the rushing floor is there, but I'm a little bit worried about the passing. Jalen Hurts, I think in that area, I think I would just rather fade and go after maybe a Ryan Tannehill or a Matt Stafford, to be honest. Or if I fade even further, there are other late round quarterbacks I'd be willing to do. I love Jalen Hurts coming into this offseason, but I've been fading him for quite a while, and this Gardner Minshew move, unfortunately, doesn't give me a lot of uh, upside. And if you dive into Jalen Hurts' three games, he finishes the QB 13, the QB 1, and the QB 17. So only one of those three starts were inside the top 12, so I hear you on that. <clears throat> but let's focus on some, some of the good names that we want to promote, some guys that were actually higher on. And I cheated a little bit, and I apologize in advance that it might be a little – but one of my QB strategies that I really am starting to warm up to is the complete fade. I pass on Brady. I pass on Ryan Tannehill, which breaks my heart. But if you really want to load up on some of those receivers in those ranges, like you want to get Corey Davis and Marvin Jones, and you want to pass on Tom Brady and guys like that, and Tyler Boyd, and you want to get those running back, uh, certain running backs like Melvin Gordon in those rounds, one of the philosophies I'm starting to really warm up to is pairing Kirk Cousins with a Trey Lance or even another player that Sky's going to talk about in a second uh, because of the fact that Kirk Cousins' early season schedule is absolutely elite, elite. When you dive into his actual opponents, okay, he's got the Bengals, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Browns, the Lions, and the Panthers. Honestly, those all those teams, none of them were in the top 10 last year in fantasy points 
versus the quarterback. They were all either middle or back end allowing fantasy points. So they were very, very good for quarterbacks. Right there, according to Warren Sharp, Warren Sharp does his pass efficiency um, strength of schedule for 2021. The Vikings are number one, and it's not even close. It's like a steady little slope and then a huge jump to the Vikings. And that's what makes me think that I can get away with drafting Kirk Cousins and waiting on Trey Lance's upside. I believe that you can take Kirk Cousins. And actually, the funny thing is if you look at the ADP, Trey Lance is the one you're going to have to draft first, which is crazy because he just got hurt. Maybe because of the fractured finger, it gives he's a week out. Maybe his ADP will start to slip. But the first six weeks, knowing that Kirk Cousins can get you through and you can wait on a guy like Trey Lance, then who can help you win a league, but you're also not sacrificing the first six weeks, gives me more of a interest in doing this philosophy. Last season, if you look at the last eight games, Kirk Cousins, Averaged 27.4 points per game, and he was fifth in that time frame. So it's not like Kirk Cousins is a fringe quarterback one. He was actually able to produce top five, top six numbers, and he was sandwiched in between some major heavy hitters. And this is a guy you consistently can get in the 13th, 14th round of drafts. Now, I don't think Kirk Cousins wins you your league season long. What I'm saying here is that you can get away with Kirk Cousins weeks one through six, and then once Trey Lance wins that job, or gets the job midseason, hopefully, you have a guy with the rushing floor, with the elite weapons, a guy that can actually win you your fantasy league. So this is a fantastic strategy, in my opinion. If you want to load up on those Marvin Jones and Corey Davises of the world, right where Tannehill and Tom Brady are going, this is a great fallback option, which is why I'm kind of interested in this new philosophy that I've recently come up with, and uh, would love to get your thoughts on that, Sky. First off, let's talk a little bit about red zone draft boards. Now, Red Zone Draft Boards is one of our sponsors. Now, they just slashed their prices again. Now it's down to 10%. It's actually $89 for the entire package. So if, for example, you're doing an in-person draft this week, this week is draft week, everybody. Draft with RedZone.com. You get the in-person draft board. You also get all the player stickers, over 400 of those. You also get cheat sheets from FantasyPoints.com. So that's an awesome, awesome package. But I think the most important thing is you get a championship ring for your league with an engraved case. So I think that's a fantastic package for you and your friends to use. Now, if you use that promo code TCK, you also get 10% off your order. So go to draftwithredzone.com and use the promo code TCK for 10% off your order. Another advertiser we want to talk quickly about is our new sponsor, expandtheboxcore.com. If you currently are someone that's interested in taking a dabble in advanced stats. Now you can find a site that can get you access to things like contested catches, routes run, broken tackles, missed tackles. All these advanced stats you typically can't find in one place on a free site. You can now get it with Expand the Box Score. <clears throat> and just for one year, you can pay $25 for the season. If you use that promo code TCK, you get $5 off your order and a four-day free trial. So if you're interested in taking a dabble instead of spending $200 or $700 on these other sites, take a shot with uh, expandtheboxscore.com and you get $5 off of your purchase. Let's talk a little bit about some running backs. First off, I want to talk about Kareem Hunt. Now, Kareem Hunt is a fade for me in the currently going as expert consensus ranking RB24. This is I'm kind of fading Kareem Hunt, and here's why. If you start looking into Kareem Hunt, He's only one of two players last season that had 30 or more carries when the team trailed by double digits and was ahead by double digits. 
So this is kind of my point here. When I look at that, it's very fluky that the Browns had a very weird early season schedule early on that allowed Kareem Hunt to dominate when they were either up big or down big. What that means, though, is only one other player was Derrick Henry who had this exact same stat line. Eric Derrick Henry only made up 32% of his rushes. Last year, they made up 44%. So nearly half of Kareem Hunt's carries came in games where he was down by double digits or up by double digits. That's not accountable. You cannot bank on that. Plus, when you look into the final eight games of the season, when Nick Chubb returned, he averaged 10.5 points per game. That would have been the RB30 last year overall. So it just shows that it's Nick Chubb's team. He's the main ball carrier. And when you actually take out the games that Kareem Hunt played without Chubb and those early season games where they were very fluky in blowouts, he really normalizes to someone that doesn't offer a lot of upside. So I think at RB24, I'm going to pivot from a guy like Kareem Hunt, and I'm going to move to a different player in that range. And we'll talk about some of the guys that I'm buying later in drafts that I also would like to pick over Kareem Hunt. But, Sky, I'm going to bring you back in, man. You got it. Well, I appreciate that. And, and we live in the uh, the digital age. Every once in a while, you have something to drop. So I apologize, everybody. Uh, but I do want to jump in on Kirk Cousins because I was able to hear you throughout that. And I wanted to agree fully. I think Kirk Cousins is a great option. And let's not forget, he had more than four rushing touchdowns in the first four seasons that he had. Now, I don't see that continuing because he only had one in the last three. But he has that rushing upside if he needs it. I think he's got great weapons, obviously, Dalvin Cook there as well. So Kirk Cousins and a rookie quarterback is a great move. And quick thoughts on Kareem Hunt before I dive in as well. I totally agree with you. I had Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in two different leagues last year. I drafted both of them on purpose, the very expensive handcuff, if you will. And when Nick Chubb went down for five games, Kareem Hunt filled in admirably, but he wasn't Nick Chubb, as you just mentioned, and he was not a weak winner, if you will. So I don't know that I'm willing to spend that cost again this year for who is a backup even in PPR leagues. Now, if you go zero RB or something and you want you know, somebody that's going to give you a nice 12-point floor with a 25-point ceiling, Kareem Hunt's your guy. Otherwise, I'm probably going to look at other guys there as well. All right, I'll dive back here just a little bit. Let me catch up to you, Bob, and then we'll get going. I'm going to give you my quarterback outside the top 12 who I feel could finish inside the top 12, and then I'll dive into my running back inside the top 24 who might fall out of it as well. Okay, so we'll start with my quarterback here. Justin Fields is my guy. He has had a, I think he's had a tremendous off or preseason here. I know he's been shaky and, and thrown a couple costly picks and inaccurate, whatever, but he's a rookie quarterback and he's, you know, playing with not only scrubs on defense, but scrubs on his offense as well. I think that the talent is there off the bat. I love me Trey Lance. I think the 49ers are going to be great with Trey Lance for a long time. But as a 49er fan, before they picked Trey Lance, the talk was going to be Mac Jones or Justin Fields. And I wanted Justin Fields as the guy for the 49ers. They went with Trey Lance. Totally okay with that. But I've loved Trey, uh, Justin Fields coming in. He was my number two quarterback during the entire uh, offseason process. So when... He takes over, which I think is going to be either after week one when they get demolished by the Rams and Andy Dalton gets shelled. He's either going to start week two or maybe week four when the schedule lightens up. Either way, when he takes off and takes over that quarterback position for the Bears, I think he will be a top 12 quarterback in fantasy points per game with a top 24 ceiling and, of course, week winning upside there with his rushing 
ability. So he hasn't played the preseason with Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, a little bit with Cole Komet, but not much because he's been out. Jimmy Graham has barely even been in there. And then you have um, uh, David Montgomery, who has played very limited snaps as well. Tariq Cohen still on the pup list. So he hasn't even been able to really play with his weapons. Andy Dalton's obviously not the guy long-term. Justin Fields gets a chance eventually. He's getting drafted outside of the top 12. I think he could finish inside the top 12 if he gives us at least 12-plus games, which I think he will. ECR number 21, I've got him ranked at number 20, but I am higher than him on that. I just want him to obviously win the job first. And he's getting drafted in the 11th round. I talked about Jalen Hurts before this in the ninth round. I would fade Jalen Hurts and get basically maybe this year's Jalen Hurts coming up after that a couple rounds later. Okay, I'll go into my running back here, and then we'll get Bobby's reactions. So my, unfortunately, my running back inside the top 24 that I think could finish outside the top 24, actually earlier on in the summer was my sleeper in the NFC West, and that's Darrell Henderson. Now, he was my sleeper days before Cam Akers got hurt and went down for the season. So obviously, Darrell Henderson no longer qualifies as a sleeper, but a lot of people have him as a breakout still, and I, I'm i not so much worried about Sony Michelle, but Sony Michelle coming in is definitely a factor needing to be considered. ECR has him at 23. I have him at 22, so I'm actually higher than ECR on this, which is kind of funny. He's getting drafted in the sixth round, but I just don't see myself in drafts the last couple of weeks targeting Darrell Henderson, and here's why. In games last year where he saw more than 12 carries, which is six games, Henderson finishes a top 12 running back three times, but he finished outside the top 24 twice. So which running back are you going to get on a weekly basis? He has a thumb injury. I know it's not lower body, so I don't think it's you know season ending. It's obviously not. He still plans to be the starter and going to get a heavy workload, according to Sean McVay. But he does have a thumb injury. He has durability concerns dating back over his career anyway, which bothers me. Sony Michelle does come in from the Patriots. I don't really believe in Sony Michelle. Bobby does, and Bobby was standing up for Sony Michelle during free agent time when we were talking about him in March and April. But Xavier Jones is also there as well. When Cam Akers went down, Xavier Jones started getting the the hype, and then they brought in Sony Michelle. So either way, they're not confident that Darrell Henderson is going to be their guy. Matt Stafford coming over is going to elevate the entire offense, but I think he's obviously going to elevate the passing game more so than that. And I'm just not sure that Darrell Henderson now is going to be the lead dog and get three down work. A couple of weeks ago, I was willing to draft him in the you know third round, basically, um, because I wanted him to be that bell cow. But Xavier Jones has come up. Sonny Michelle has shown up. And now he's got this injury. I'm concerned about Darrell Henderson, unfortunately. Sixth round is a time where you start taking shots on running backs anyway. So I may have him on a couple of teams. But he's not as enticing as he once was. Yeah, I, I listen, Daryl Henderson, I kind of keep saying this over and over again. I can't get out of my mind. The Cam Akers going in the one-two turn, and then this guy's going in the fifth round, and then we're all just like not interested. I just – it just the offense is going to be awesome. I mean, you got Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, the great receivers, Tyler Higby. I just think that this offense is going to get, lead to a lot of scoring opportunities, but who knows? With Sonny Michel, like I said earlier, this guy's a former first-round pick. Um, does have some good seasons under his belt, so we'll see. Now let's go into – the one thing I stay on brand, you're going to notice over the next few buys, you're going to see Bob just, you don't even need to be on the show anymore. You just kind of just plug in my answers, unfortunately, but I stay <laughs> on brand because I just like, you know, listen, when you dive into the players and where they're going in drafts, 
The best part about the guys I keep talking about is they don't go any higher. They don't, no one wants them for some reason. And the guy that I'm buying is Melvin Gordon. And the one thing I can tell you about Melvin Gordon is we just saw him play. And I know Javante Williams, and I'll admit, the Javante Williams not playing thing kind of was like, hmm, interesting. They must have seen what they need to see. Um, but I think they really wanted to get Melvin Gordon in there. Five carries, 35 yards. He looked really good. It starts with Pat Shermer and Mike Munchak from a coaching staff standpoint. Mike Munchak, top two or three offensive line coaches in football, has really built up this offensive line. Four of five starters coming back from last season. I like that. On Also on top of that, Pat Shermer, we've talked about for years, uses bell cows, constantly uses bell cows. Way back to the day, Steven Jackson to Saquon Barkley. So he does use a bell cow back. But last season they didn't. They used Philip Lindsay. But just keep in mind, Melvin Gordon came in from as an outsider into the system, and they still gave Melvin Gordon the lead work over Philip Lindsay, who is the incumbent. Now he's going to be playing with a rookie. My thing is, it doesn't matter if Javante Williams gets work because last season Melvin Gordon didn't even get the full workload. Like I broke down in a previous podcast, number one about Melvin Gordon last season, don't listen to people who tell you he wasn't good. He was 10th in PFF rush grades, 9th in rush yards, 9th in rushing touchdowns, second best yards per carry of his career. So as a runner, he was awesome. Where his where his game faltered was in the receiving game, and that was a Drew Locke problem. And last season with Philip Lindsay, and in the, if you take out that random uh, Hilton game, the receiver who just got waived, by the way, who actually started a game at quarterback, has been waived off the team. They still averaged 12.7 points per game. That's top 24 numbers last year. That's what sharing the work with Phil Lindsay. I took out the games Lindsay was out. If I take the put those games in, his, his points per game goes up. So I'm being reasonable, but really when it comes down to it is Teddy Bridgewater and what he can do for the passing game. I just broke this down last season. Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy B targeted the running backs 8% higher than Drew Locke. If you factor that, that into the attempts from last season, that would result in 44 running back, more running back targets this year. So that's more passing game work for Melvin Gordon, who, by the way, did very well with Austin Eckler back in the day because they got more passing game work. So it's you can make a two running back system work when they're getting force fed the ball in the passing game as well. So I do think Melvin Gordon is someone currently going in the seventh, eighth round, who by the way, was a top 24 back last year. He's only 28 years old. And me and Sky broke this down running back age analysis. Go check it out on our old YouTube channel, YouTube channel. 31 years old is when the cliff comes, not 28. So if he produces at 27, he's probably good at 28. So that's why I think Melvin Gordon is a buy for 2021. Yeah, fair. And you and I talked about Melvin Gordon. We talked, I talked about Javante Williams and the reality is you and I are buying this backfield. We're just buying different players. So you're, and, and again, this is kind of that Raheem Mostert, uh, Trey Sermon argument that I brought up earlier in the show. Like if you're either going with the guy who's going to be the starter and ride him out, or you're passing him over and going with the rookie. I'd like to just get both of them if I possibly can. And it makes the most sense, but I'm with you, man. I'm a Javante Williams guy, but Melvin Gordon is certainly somebody plummeting in drafts. I was in a super flex draft last night. Melvin Gordon got drafted in the 11th round, Bobby, 11th round. I know you'd be taking him probably in the seventh. So I love it there. So sorry, can I just say one thing? This is a really important point Sky brought up. When you do mock drafts, please make sure you're not drafting always the players you want. Draft players you don't care about and see where your guys fall because that's Mm -hmm. a great point. He just made the best point. I would pull the trigger in the eighth, but if I'm seeing him going in the ninth, going the tenth, I can go then take a better guy in the eighth 
and get him in the ninth. So this is important. Do your mock drafts, but don't always draft the guys you want. Draft, see how far they fall. That's a great call, man. That's a great way to look at your mock drafts is not only mock draft yourself, but let the league mock draft for you for your own guys. Pick guys you don't want necessarily to see where guys fall. I love that. That's a good tip and trick. Okay, let me get into my running back buy here, and it's Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake here for the Raiders. Comes over, of course, from the Cardinals previously with the Dolphins. Now, he's the ECR has him at 34. I have him at 32, but I want him higher than that. The only reason I have hesitation is because Josh Jacobs obviously will be the guy, but I, if you didn't catch my <laughs> breakdown of Josh Jacobs recently, unfortunately, I just don't see Josh Jacobs holding up to task. Kenyon Drake is more efficient. They were basically the same running back last year, but Josh Jacobs had far more opportunity than Kenyon Drake. So Kenyon Drake's numbers were the same essentially as Josh Jacobs, but the efficiency was through the roof for Kenyon Drake versus what Josh Jacobs can do. I think eventually Gruden has to make one good decision, and I think that might be getting Kenyon Drake more work, at least in the pass game. He's going in the 10th th uh, round right now. I love that as a backup running back who I think could potentially finish in the top 24. He's right now going as running back 34. Now they targeted him in free agency. The Raiders did even with Josh Jacobs on board. He's very efficient on the goal line and through the air. He had 800 yards and eight touchdowns with the Cardinals two years ago in just eight games when he came over from Miami midseason. Last year, he had 10 touchdowns with the Cardinals. I don't think people even remember that because it was all Kyler Murray rushing and the hype is with uh, Chase Edmonds. But Kenyon Drake got it done, double-digit touchdowns last year. And again, two years ago, if you extrapolate his pace with the Cardinals from when he came over midseason, that's 1,600 yards and 16 touchdowns. I know that's extreme, but the numbers were there for half a season. So Kenyon Drake can certainly get it done. He's been the running back 14, 17, and 16 over the last three years. Now, I, I don't think people think of Kenyon Drake as like a middle RB2. They think of him as a low-end RB2 with maybe high RB2 upside on occasion, but that's not the case. He finished the season as a middling RB2, and he has RB1 upside. He's Right now, he's going as the RB34. I think he could finish in the top 24. That's what I'm bringing up. And history shows you over the last three years, he could be a top 15 running back if anything were to happen to Josh Jacobs or they just frankly move on to Kenyon Drake, which I do think, as crazy as it sounds today, I do think it's a possibility. With the Dolphins, he has two seasons of 50-plus catches on his NFL resume. So Kenyon Drake should be the third down back minimum. He could take uh goal line back away. And if anything happens to Josh Jacobs, I think Kenyon Drake should have fill in admirably no problem and maybe even exceed that. So they might flip the script halfway through the season. Kenyon Drake, for me, is a running back four. That could be end up being an, an RB2 or, frankly, an RB1 if anything were to happen to Jacobs that you're getting for free, I think, in drafts. If you're looking for depth in the middle rounds, Kenyon Drake is my guy. If, if I mean, you were very excited about Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, but if the lights come on and those guys don't perform and it's just Darren Waller again, there's plenty of opportunities for these running backs, especially Drake with Jalen Richard out to become more of a factor in the pass game. Now let's move on to the receivers. My, my guy is Brandon Ayuk. Um, listen, Brandon Ayuk was awesome last year. And I, and I do think he is going to be fantastic for years to come, but, couple things factor into this, why he's a fade. 
First off, last year, 12.9 points per game with wide receiver 17, currently going at 24. So he's actually going a little bit later than where he finished last year on a points-per-game basis. But when I look at this, it's a lot to do with the uncertainty at quarterback. Is it going to be Trey Lance at some point? What's the impact going to be on the overall pass volume when you move to a mobile quarterback? The other factor of this is simple. It's really when I've drilled down, I don't like to bank on injuries. Right now today, Debo Samuel's healthy. George Kittle is healthy. Last year, they were not. There's actually only four games where these guys played together. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. When you actually break down those games, it shows a different story. George Kittle was by far and away the best player on the field. He dominated in targets, uh, 40 targets to 21 for Ayuk. He darted in receptions, 31 to 13 yards, 391 to 189, and also points per game, 16.9 for George Kittle, only 10.3 for Brandon Ayuk. 10.3 10.3 points per game when you're drafting in the fifth round is not going to get it done. And I think when I look at that, I'm thinking, is there going to be enough long-term pass volume to support George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel? When you know, first of all, people don't like to say this, but Kyle Shanahan is a run-first uh, coordinator. The thing is, it's so good that people don't complain. But Brian Schottenheimer, you know, you run, run, run. You know, like all these guys talk about like Dan Campbell, all these guys – but when it's when it runs so well, when the quarterback can play off play action in Kyle Shanahan's scheme, we don't complain. But in the end, there's lower pass volume. So if George Kittle's healthy, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, I just don't see him returning much value at the top 24 where he's going because that 10.3 points per game would put him well, well outside the top 36 wide receivers last year in points per game. So that's why he's my fade heading into 2021. Oh, man, this is tough. I had him as my breakout in the NFC West divisional breakdowns, Bobby, and I'm going to counter just a little bit. I hear all your arguments, and again, you're not incorrect, but I'm going to counter a little bit. Last year, he led all rookies with eight targets per game. He led the 49ers in targets with 96. He was the wide receiver three in PPR points per game from week seven to 15 behind only Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. Also, I know this is like hyperbole, and, and it may or may not happen, But if he plays the X receiver for Kyle Shanahan, Andre Johnson, back in the day with the Texans, 171 targets. Pierre Garçon with the Washington football team, 181 targets. And the Hall of Famer, Julio Jones, 203 targets, Bobby. I know George Kittle is the first read. Debo Samuel is also there. My man, Jalen Hurts, looks like he's going to make the squad as the sixth receiver. So look out for him. And then you also have, of course, the running backs as well. Um, Jalen Hurd, excuse me, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurd, Jalen Hurd. Anyway, uh, you have the potential for Brendan Ayuk to potentially get, let's call it modest, 130 targets, 140 targets. I think he's going to explode in this offense. And look, when Trey Lance takes over, he has a better deep arm, and I think that's going to benefit Brendan Ayuk more than Debo Samuel. I like Brendan Ayuk, but I hear you here just in case it doesn't work out. He is definitely a risky opportunity right now. All right, let me jump into mine here. And mine, again, these these players inside the top 12 or 24 that were bouncing are not um, – they're not popular names to fade. Like, again, I, I like DJ Moore. But DJ Moore is a guy that when I was doing my research, unfortunately, might end up outside the top 24. I think it's unlikely. But let me make a case here. DJ Moore, ECR 18. I've got him at 22. And he's going in the – middle to late fourth round 
to me personally, that's a little rich for the type of players that are also there. And Bobby and I both love Robbie Anderson, who's going a few rounds later. We'll both, I think, pass on DJ Moore, go with Robbie Anderson. Now, he could break out if he gets the touchdowns. Unfortunately, he's only had 10 touchdowns in 46 games, DJ Moore has. But Robbie Anderson could also break out this year, and he's the one with the previous rapport with new Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold from their days with the Jets. Of course, he also played under Matt Rule in college at Temple as well. Then they bring in my man, Terrace Marshall, who I love, and he's been showing out at camp as well. Now, I think DJ Moore is solidified as at least the 1B in this offense. But Terrace Marshall's the real deal, and if Robbie Anderson could stay healthy, he is also. Then, of course, you have Christian McCaffrey coming back, who only played three games last year. I think that might take away a little bit of that mid-range work that DJ Moore is going to soak up. And if, look, I know they didn't use the tight end last year, but if Dan Arnold <laughs> amounts to anything at the tight end position, that's also in DJ Moore territory. DJ Moore is going to get peppered with targets. He's had at least 1,175 receiving yards over the last two years, but 10 touchdowns in 46 career games. We have seen elite wide receivers just not be touchdown guys. Julio Jones, unfortunately. I do think the touchdowns go up for DJ Moore, but the volume overall, 66 receptions, could come down or just stay pat there. And now they have Terrace Marshall, who I think overall is just better in the offense than Curtis Samuel personally, and Christian McCaffrey coming back. And if they use the tight end position at all, that's another underlying effort there for the Panthers. I like DJ Moore a lot, but in the fourth round, I'm not going to draft him. And he is somebody in the top 24 that I think could end up outside the top 24 unless he explodes in the touchdown department, which I just don't see happening this year. Sam Darnold's connection with Robbie Anderson could be a thing still. I mean, last year, Robbie Anderson was the target leader on a per-game tar- uh, per basis. So, <clears throat> yeah, I could see a scenario where DJ Moore is, if at best, he's a low-end wide receiver, too. And at that point, you should probably find a guy like <clears throat> Jerry Judy or <clears throat> Tyler Board, everybody. <laughs> so, expert consensus raising wide receiver buy that's not going in the top 24 is, you guessed it, Tyler Boyd. I don't know. I feel bad because my takes are just, I, I can't. But when I sit there, I cannot honestly say there's another player I believe in more that's going outside the top 24 receivers that will be a top 24 receiver. It's Tyler Boyd. And I'm going to run through this really quick. The offense is conducive. For example, Zach Taylor, his lone season as the Miami uh, offensive coordinator, he actually gave Jarvis Landry 166 yard targets. So the offense is conducive for a slot receiver. So that's a check. Joe Burrow, last season, according to Football Outsiders, DVOA was 17th in slot DVOA, which means his efficiency throwing to the slot. He was 33rd throwing out wide. That is the biggest differential amongst any quarterback last season. So he is a much better slot thrower on an efficiency basis than out wide. Last season, his target distributions in the games with T. Higgins and A.J. Green, 81 for Boyd, 70 for Higgins, 66 for A.J. Green. It resulted in Boyd averaging 13.6 points per game versus 12.1 for Higgins. That would have made him the wide receiver 12 last year. In the games with a competent quarterback prior to Burrow, just the Andy Dalton seasons in 2018 and 2019, he averaged, he was the wide receiver 19 in the Dalton games uh, in 2019 and the wide receiver 16 in 2018. So right there, when he has any form of competent quarterback play, this guy's a top 20 receiver 
every time. He's going into his prime. His wide he's turning 27 in November. This is the wide receiver prime, 26-27. This guy, we might not have even seen his best season yet. I'm starting to think he might be a part of my bold predictions next episode. I'm not sure. But overall, when you dive into everything, even Joe Burrow in college used uh, Justin Jeff- Jefferson in the slot in that 2019 season and dominated. I think Tyler Boyd is a lock. Go to episodes 400 through 550 because I'm going to keep talking about him all the time. <laughs> so they five my takes on Tyler Boyd, but that's why he's my buy this year. Yeah, I, man, Tyler Boyd is the man. And, and look, I, I think Jamar Chase has been faded a little bit with these drops, and he looks to be playing uh, a little bit off so far. So T. Higgins is my guy. Tyler Boyd is your guy. Either way, we'll take both those guys over Jamar Chase. All right, Bobby, I'm going to get into my buy here, and that is going to be Michael Pittman. And this is new news because Michael Pittman, I think, was a breakout guy for a lot of guys. But T.Y. Hilton, unfortunately, is nursing a neck and a back issue. And if he misses any significant time, which you're hearing out of Colts camp, this could be season ending. I, I don't want to you know, put the cart before the horse here, but it could be season ending or he could just miss half the season at least. That leaves, of course, a big window here for Michael Pittman. ECR 48, I've got him at 36. He's drafted in the ninth round right now. His ADP will go up as the weeks continue uh, because this, this news basically broke in the last couple of days. But I do like Michael Pittman a lot. I liked him coming out of USC last year, but he didn't really have a chance with the Colts, in my opinion. So Pittman has the alpha wide receiver body. Carson Wentz, when he gets right off of COVID and healthy, whatever, He's going to focus on the big guys. Alshon Jeffrey, Nelson Aguilar. Say what you want about Nelson Aguilar. He was excellent for Philadelphia. Goes to the Raiders. And then he, his last year with Philadelphia, goes to the Raiders, gets paid now in New England. Alshon Jeffrey was great when he was healthy. Now, Pittman had no offseason last year. Of course, you know, rookies coming in. And then you had uh, he had to play with Phillip Rivers, who was a shell of himself. He had in-season surgery on a compartment leg syndrome. And then he still put up 40 catches, 500 yards, and a touchdown in 13 games. And in that single playoff game, he was 5 for 90. He was dominant at USC. And I I just think he's going to be a good receiver for a long time. If T.Y. Hilton's not that alpha, yes, Zach Pascal's there. You're going to have Paris Campbell, right? But I think that Michael Pittman is going to be the alpha guy there. He's somebody I'm looking to take as my wide receiver 4 or 5, who I think has wide receiver 2 upside. I listen, the Hilton injury is huge. Uh, you know, I talked about Hilton as a sleeper because sometimes people just don't like the old guy in his early 30s. But Pittman, we've seen Alshon Jeffrey, a bigger bodied receiver, really work well with Carson Wentz and how he plays. I think Pittman is that guy. He actually was drafted first ahead of Jonathan Taylor. So this this they thought that you think you love they love Jonathan Taylor. They love Michael Pittman more. So they're gonna make sure right. this guy succeeds in this season. All right, let's go into the tight ends. And mine's kind of obvious is Dallas Goddard and Goddard when it comes down to it and understanding why Goddard is a fade for me because currently he's still going as the tight end nine. We're starting to see him slip and continue to slip, but it doesn't seem like a lot of the experts has pulled the trigger on understanding this guy is not going to offer top 12 upside when he's with Zach Ertz. Number one, I want to, I got to, I got to do the the very unusual um, edit from my last podcast. I want to apologize. I said something off when it came to Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. They played seven games together. So in those seven games, when you really break down the numbers, Dallas Goddard technically was the leader when it comes to targets between the two. So I do admit, I apologize, Dallas Goddard did edge out Zach Ertz slightly in the seven full games. But when they were together, he only averaged 8.6 points per game. 
Now, 8.6 points per game for a tight end is fine. That's not that actually is something that you can use for fantasy. But when you got to look, when you really drill down to 8.6 points per game, that's low end tight end numbers. And personally, I think there's guys later, including Logan Thomas and Tyler Higby, that you can actually get that offer more upside because they will dominate tight end targets. But when you also look at the games they played with Jalen Hurts, number one, those numbers come way down, first of all. And then the second part of all this, too, <clears throat> they didn't have Devonta Smith. They didn't have a uh, a guy like Watkins, Quez Watkins in the slot. They're using Greg Ward there. You know, outside of that, too, with this offense is very conducive for running backs. you got to keep in mind that like, Naheem Hines' role is going to be more prominent for a guy like Boston Scott or Gainwell later in the year because they use running backs a lot as a satellite back. So that could be another impact to the tight ends overall. Plus, I think with Jalen Hurts, you're going to see more running than you did with Carson Wentz, of course. So I think that's going to really impact the pass catchers on this team. What you really think about it, though, and I'm trying to be as optimistic as as I can, but long-term, Dallas Goddard is going to be great. But when he splits work with Zach Ertz, there's no point of reaching for a guy like Dallas Goddard, knowing that his ceiling's capped when he's tethered to Zach Ertz with a mobile quarterback and an offense that's going to feature a new number one wide receiver that wasn't a part of the offense last year. So that 8.6 points per game is not even very likely because you're going to see guys, number one, like Devonta Smith more involved, Quez Watkins more involved. And plus, Zach Ertz was really banged up all last year. So if he's healthy going into the season, he might even impact Dallas Goddard as well, which is why Dallas Goddard is my fade amongst the top 12 quarterbacks, uh, tight ends. Yeah, I was very excited about Dallas Goddard like everybody else too. But again, Zach Ertz isn't going away, and we're not sure. Again, I just kind of faded, unfortunately, Jalen Hurts. Not quite sure. Now, look, Dallas Goddard might luck out once again on straight-up volume because, you know, we've seen Mark Andrews in Baltimore just be the volume hog. If he gets that at the tight end position, he'll be just fine. But there are other guys there, Bobby, I agree, that I would go elsewhere. I'm going to go with, again, this is unfortunate because I, I do like this player on paper, but somebody I'm looking at in the top 12 of the tight end position that I could see finishing outside of it is Noah Fant. He's the ECR seven tight end. I have him at number 10. He's going in the back of the eighth round right now. They have several other wide receivers and they have Alberto as well. So they have obviously Cortland Sutton coming back, who looks great so far. He was a little bit shaky early on. He looks fine now, caught a touchdown in the last preseason game. Um, his first one since 2019 in real play. So looks good for Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy, I think, is a breakout for everybody across the board. KJ Hamler has looked really good, even with Teddy B, caught that deep touchdown. Albert Okwebenham looking very good as well. He got hurt last year. And then you have Melvin Gordon and Javonta Williams, who you and I have talked about quite a bit over the last couple of podcasts. So, I mean, he's one, two, three, probably fourth target at best, maybe five or six, depending on the offense runs. Now, he only needs 6,606 to be a top seven tight end and, and get back to ECR. But again, with all of these guys, if they stay healthy and Teddy Bridgewater not necessarily hyper-targeting the tight end position, I do not see him being a top seven tight end in which he is in ECR. I've got him as a top 10 tight end on volume, but if he slips at all, he can fall outside of the top. 12 there. So Noah Fant is a player that I love. I love to watch. He's had some injury concerns, unfortunately, though, as well. He's got to get that rapport with Teddy B, and he has all the other weapons. Unfortunately, he's just a great player at the tight end position that I'm probably not going to take in the eighth round because of all the other options. Um, <laughs> Noah Fant's tough because 
I, I listen, Teddy B comes in and he did support three fantasy receivers last year, but is that because they didn't have a tight end and Ian Thomas was just out there running routes, or is it because Teddy has a preference of targeting receivers and his running backs? Don't know. I honestly, and I wish I had better answers, but if you look at Teddy B's history, he doesn't really have a big season with a tight end necessarily. It's more he targets right. his running backs and then he also throws his receivers. So I don't know if that's actually going to be no fit, but also with KJ Hamler, with the return of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, I think I'd rather go Logan Thomas, Tyler Higby. All right, let's move on to our buys. And this guy, breaking news, by the way, uh, Chris Herndon has been traded to the Vikings. Which makes this take not really that relevant. Um, all right. So, you know what? I'm just going to pretend like just thought that was important. So Chris Herndon's one of my guys from last year. I think he's got a lot of talent. Now he's going to an offense. But, you know, what does that say about Irv Smith's future? Does that mean he's going to be gone longer than they expect? I don't know. But Chris Herndon going to the Vikings is kind of interesting, something to monitor. But in the meantime, I'm talking about week one. I'm talking about guys that I think could be really impactful. Let me talk quickly. I got two here. One is Cole Komet. And listen, I've talked about the second year breakout over the last few years. When you look at it and you break it down, 2018, it was George Kittle was the big name. 2019, Mark Andrews. You also in 2020, it was TJ Hawkinson. So every single year, a second year tight end makes the leap. Adam Troutman was the early favorite as a sleeper. But I think because of some of the things that gone on, his injury, but also because some of the news with Juwan Johnson, it looks like that he's not going to be that guy. I think Cole Komet could be that guy. If you look at the preseason – Andy Dalton, the one game they played together in the preseason, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, Andy Dalton attempted four passes. Two of them went to Cole Komet. So right there was interesting. Last season, down the stretch, weeks 13 to 17, with Jimmy Graham in the lineup, he got his targets jumped to 5.8 per game. He started averaging 6.2 points per game in those contests. That's on par with guys like George Kittle and Mark Andrews, who averaged between five and six points per game their rookie season. So he started producing his rookie year at a higher level. Also, if you look at Andy Dalton's career, he's had a lot of success with tight ends with Dalton. For example, you have guys like Jermaine Gresham, for example, had a a top 12 finish. You have Tyler Eifert, who had two seasons of inside the top five in points per game. Poor guy couldn't stay healthy, but it is what it is. And also, like, from that point on, we also saw Dalton Schultz last year produce as a low-end tight end one with Andy Dalton in the final eight games or so when Dalton came back healthy. So there's been plenty of scenarios where there's breakout second-year tight ends, but also Andy Dalton has leaned on his his uh, tight ends as well throughout his career. So I think that there's some room for Cole Komet to take the jump. The other guy's Tyler Conklin. This is more of a, a throw of faith. With Irv Smith out, I personally think that you know Tyler Conklin, you just can't pretend like he's not a thing. This offense loves tight ends. This goes way past – you know, Kyle Rudolph way back in the day, but I'm talking about Owen Daniels, Chris Cooley, you know, guys under this type of offense, this Gary Kubiak, Clint Kubiak offense. Last season, the final four games without Kyle Rudolph, they, so according to catchable balls, according to PFF, 20 for Smith, 20 for Conklin, 15 receptions for each. And they, but the only thing is Irv Smith dominated red zone looks. Now, he only had two red zone looks the entire four games. If he can take over the red zone works, he actually had a higher yards per route run than Irv Smith. So this guy, when he was on the field, produced at a high level. So I think if you're in a pinch and you fade you know, tight ends completely, or if you drafted Irv Smith as your tight end one, I think Tyler Conklin, we just went over the schedule for Kirk Cousins. This is a great schedule early on in the season. So I think Conklin could be a someone that flirts with tight end one value early on in 2021. 
I like it. And again, Conklin, all you got to do is catch touchdowns as a tight end. And Conklin was doing that very proficiently for the Vikings when he got the opportunity. All right. My final one here is going to be Gerald Everett. I know you and I are both on Gerald Everett going as the ECR tight end 18. I've got him at 14 going in the middle of the 13th round. If you wait on tight end, Gerald Everett is one of my targets. Only had touchdowns, touchdown totals over his four-year career. Two, three, two, and two. Obviously horrendous. There's nowhere to go but up for Gerald Everett there with the Seattle Seahawks now leaving the Rams. Everyone talks about no Everett for the Tyler Higby conversation, which I know you're a huge Tyler Higby fan, so am I. Everyone talks about no Everett for Higby. What about no Higby for Everett? Right. Russell Wilson says they have a nice connection over the offseason. He hasn't had a ton of play because he's just trying to stay healthy, whatever. But he's 73, 706 on 100 targets is what the Seattle Seahawks tight ends did as a group last year. Once again, the Seahawks tight ends as a group, 73 catches, 700 reception yards and six touchdowns on 106 targets. That's top five numbers at least. If Gerald Everett were to get 80, 90% of that, which I think he should and will if he stays healthy, then he will be a potentially a top six, five tight end. And every year we see different tight ends coming out of nowhere, right? Darren Wallers, Mark Andrews, yada, yada. We can see that happening. Career highs last year, receptions, receiving yards, but just two touchdowns. 17 of his career, 127 career receptions have gone for 20 yards, very athletic. And the comparison, Everett on 62 targets, with 47% snap share, Higby, 60 targets on 72% snap share. Whenever it was healthy with the Rams, they used him and they wanted to use him more often, but he was beat up. Higby got more opportunity, not taking away from Higby, but Everett's legit going to Seattle, who's a sneaky tight end team. And really, there's only two wide receivers to battle for targets there with DK and Lockett. So I like Everett a lot. You're getting for free in the 13th round. He could be a top 10 tight end, maybe even top five if he gets all that work with Seattle. Listen, and he knows the offense better than everybody because of Shane Waldron. So that's huge. Plus, I've heard nothing but great reports. I second this pick because when you read, he seems to be the next guy with after Lockett and Metcalf. That's all I keep hearing. But what really stopped Everett from climbing the charts early because he his blocking. Will Dissey looks like the better blocker, just similar to Higby, which kind of capped his ceiling. But I still like the pick. I've heard a lot of good things about Everett. I absolutely totally agree. And I think, again, if – you know, being a good blocker is fine, but frankly, we want catches for the tight end position. All right, everybody, we've had a very active chat room today, so we appreciate you guys starting to bundle in with us. Appreciate you. We're starting to take up with it. Fantasy Focus Squad on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitch, and on Twitter as well. Make sure you give us a follow and a subscribe on all those channels if you have not already. And if you're like, who the hell are these guys? What happened to Bucky and Levy? Yo, Bucky and Levy have gone nowhere. All right. They're stepping aside a little bit. They have invited us in. We are Bobby and Sky of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to be taking you through the entire season here on Fantasy Focused Network. And make sure you guys get those start sick questions ready to go for Sunday morning onslaught. We got you. We're ready for that. So bring those in. Let us know if you have any questions. Hit us up on Twitter, Sky Guasco and Bobby Lamarco. Of course, you can find us on Social media is everywhere as well. And make sure you leave a five-star rate and review on the podcast through our Believe Podcast Networks. And we'll see you next time on the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by Bet Online. Go to Bet Online AG, or you can, of course, hit up the sports betting 
app. Bet online, your sports betting experts. For Bobby Lamarco, I'm Sky Guasco. We'll catch you next time. We are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.